both of them in disarray on the field, off the field, in the front office, at the quarterback position, one in the NFC and one in the AFC. We're going to start with the 28th ranked Washington professional football team, and then we're going to move on to the 27th ranked Cleveland Browns. With us today is Washington fan Stephen Apter, and I guess, Steve, the first question I'll ask you is, how do you feel about that ranking of 28th that both Akiva and I have given to your beloved Redskins? Well, it sounds like you guys both agree, and you both agree that they're going to be pretty bad again this year, so I guess that would probably be a smart way to assess a, a pretty bad football team last year. It's not just last year, it's with, with, with the singular exception of RG3's rookie season. Uh, up until that moment when he destroyed his ankle in the playoff game, it's been nothing but disaster on and off the field for Dan Snyder's squad, basically since Joe Gibbs' second retirement. Do you, you know, you sort of acknowledge that we have reason for our pessimism. How do you feel it, and how do you think that the most of the fan base feels coming into this season? Guys, I think that's what's great about the NFL is I, I caught myself again this year being excited about this team, which, based on that history that you were going through just now, it seems kind of crazy, and it is. I think that's probably... In the blood of every Redskins fan is that they're a little bit crazy for, for sticking with this team through all of those struggles and everything. And um, it's funny. I, I feel excited again this year, and I'm, I'm ready for that inevitable heartbreak again. But I think that there's actually a lot of good things going on with this team this year, and uh, I, got, I feel like I have reason to be optimistic. They've made some additions on the field, but I think by far the biggest addition has been Scott McLuhan into the front office I think the name Vinny Serrato makes a lot of Redskins fans cringe, and, and they've they've had a history of making really bad decisions. And so to bring in a guy that's a, a talent evaluator, that's proven, that's done it with some really successful NFL teams, a guy that um, not only can evaluate athleticism and talent on the field, but someone that's been around football for a, a really long time and can assess the, the character of a lot of these young men that they're bringing onto the football team, I think is really important. So... Obviously, there's been some additions to the team, but I think for me, when I look at the types of people that we've added um, to the roster this year, with the draft picks, you think you have a lot of really high character individuals, and I think with McLuhan, he's bringing a, a lifetime of football knowledge. And so I think for me, if we're going to pinpoint one thing that says, why are you stupid enough to be excited about this team again, is to have a real talent evaluator in there. Um, the Redskins have made Mistake after mistake after mistake across the board. Free agency, draft, coaching, everything has been a mistake. And so I think what this does is it allows you to start correcting a lot of those little errors. You know, those fit, those late round draft pick, those picks, the un, undrafted free agents that they're bringing in. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of improvement in those areas under McLuhan. Yeah, and we, you know, we normally start when we're going around the horn, you know, uh, position by position with either the head coach or the quarterback, but they're so intertwined. I think, in the average non-Redskins fan mind. So, you know, give us a sort of report on where the RG3 Gruden, where does Gruden have the team now? You know, what's your view of RG3? Well, the Redskins um, agreed to get uh, opted back into the circus that is RG3 for another year and another year after that. So they have basically going to be paying RG3 the league minimum-ish this year. He's coming to the end of that rookie scale contract, so he'll probably be making about, you know, somewhere around $3 million. And um, what's really interesting about that deal is they've re-upped him for next season. They're going to be paying him a much higher salary of $16 million, barring any sort of injury. Funny, because when you look at the way that the contract is, RG, it would probably be better, as negative as it sounds, for RG3 to get hurt catastrophically again this year for the, than for him <laughs> to play as bad as he's played 
and not get hurt because the only way that the Redskins have an out for this deal is if RG3 is injured. If he comes in and performs as mediocre as he's been, you know, towards the bottom of the league in QBR rating, towards the bottom of the league in almost every statistic, I think it's going to be a a bigger issue if you're bringing in, if you don't have some uh, ability to release him from that deal. Now you have a player that's making $16 million next year. And I, I think that's the story with RG3 is, you know, a guy that, we brought in to be a leader. I think when we brought him in, we looked at a lot of the things, and that was one of the few players that they really brought in because of his character, because of his military background, because of his ability to handle adversity. So I, it's tough to say, you know, where we're going to see with, with RG3 um, injury-wise and, and just ability on the field. And I think where he will probably have to draw a lot of his confidence, if he's going to have any this year, is from Jay and, and Gruden's offense. I think last year... Despite the rotating uh, QB position, they actually put up a decent amount of yards. I, I think they weren't in the bottom half of the league in, in yards that they put up. They struggled in the red zone mightily, but um, I think last year Jay's Jay's offense moved the ball, and so I think it's we'll have to see this year. You know, can RG three stay healthy? I think more so than the pocket passing and the accuracy and a lot of the things related to his arm. And his ability to, to distribute the ball around the field, uh, to me, I want to see him making smart decisions with his legs. I think that's the biggest issue that he had early on was putting himself in these positions where he's taking a lot of hits. And if you watch, maybe compare him to somebody that was in last year's Super Bowl, Russell Wilson, really a master of being able to get down and, and also get yardage. So. To me, I want to see better decision-making from RG3, but any Redskins fan or any expert that's going to sit here and tell you they know how his season's going to go, they'd be lying because there's too many intangibles right now or, or things that we don't, we don't know with RG3. But I'd like to think that he can still lead this football team. Well, you actually you touched upon uh, a couple of the points here I have in my notes, but I guess I just want to ask you, were you surprised? Because I think most people nationally assumed at the end of last season that, that either RG3 or Gruden was not going to be back this year, maybe both. Were you surprised that they both came back? No, I think, you know, it, it was a tough year last year, but I think the Redskins are kind of out of options, honestly, if you ask me. I think Jay was a decent choice to be the head coach. You know, we wanted somebody that could come in and be able to have a grasp of the offense, and I think Jay was due for a head coaching job somewhere, and so I think they felt comfortable bringing him in. But you got to look at the history of this team. I mean, they've been through a, a whole lot of coaches, and so I think last year was, was a difficult situation, but at, at no time did I think that um, Jay was going to be the person that was going to be shown the door. And I think they, uh, with RG3, the same thing goes. They've invested so much in Robert Griffin that they really needed to see this rookie contract through. I think all along the intention was to, to opt into the next year and bring him in. But what I wasn't surprised to see is a lot of changes being made on the coaching staff still. I think they bring in somebody new to lead that secondary and Perry Farewell, someone that's had um, coordinator experience and has been to the Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator. Um, I think a lot of fans were ready to see Jim Haslett go. One of those fans, uh, London Fletcher, famously was talking about his ineptitude as a defensive coordinator and changing some of the plays that were called while he was still playing for the Redskins. So I think making a move at defensive coordinator was probably a year overdue. You saw that team, you know, the, the defensive unit really struggle last year. Um, a lot of folks wanted them to bring in Wade Phillips, you know, somebody that's comfortable at the 3-4 and somebody that's... Um, Really uh, had a lot of experience bringing defensive le- the defensive play um, up to par. 
but they went a different direction and brought in former linebacker coach from the Chargers, uh, Joe Barry, to run this defense. His only coordinator experience is with the Lions, and they were uh, comically bad. So I guess that was a, a natural fit there. You mentioned something which I think is a good point. That Washington has moved the ball. Uh, it's something I noticed each of the last two seasons during their disastrous 7-25 and run. They have they were 9th and 13th, respectively, uh, in yards. And then uh, and defensively, they were 18th and 20th, which, you know, not good, but but not terrible. But, um, right. but each season... You know, when it came to put, putting points on the board, they were among the worst in the league in both directions. And I think that, you know, they, they were, their turnover differential was really, really poor and they were really, really bad in the red zone. And so those are a couple of trends that, you know, on the one hand, they give you a little bit of confidence, I think, because this is a team, again, they can move the ball and defensively they can get stops. The problem is that they haven't done it when it's counted or they've just turned the ball over too much. So Yeah, I think obviously a football team that's in the negative with um, turning the ball over and giving the ball up, that's going to be something that's going to be addressed. But I think specifically with the red zone stuff, you're seeing a lot of that work being put in in 7-on-7 and 11-on-11. In training camp, that's been a huge emphasis for them is being able to find ways to put the ball uh, in the end zone when they get down there. You've got, um, as you mentioned, a lot of yards last year. A lot of those came from Alfred Morris, you know, being able to, to pile up a lot of rushing yards and getting this team into the red zone. Um, so now it's about being able to, to turn those um, red zone opportunities into points. So I think this team is is much more set up to be able to do that this year. They've got a lot of new faces on offense. And so I think this year we're going to hopefully be featuring balanced running attack and being able to get down in the red zone and score some more points this year. Uh, Joe Barry, is uh, he's the guy who, uh, who I think he's most famous for is probably when the reporter asked uh, Rod Marinelli, uh, and Barry Barry is married to Marinelli's daughter. If uh, if Marinelli, oh, he wishes, is. I didn't know that. It, well, it, he said, the reporter asked uh, Rod, Rod Marinelli if he wishes his daughter married a better coach. Uh, I think you know. Let's talk, talk. Speaking about Joe Barry, I think a lot of fans were were confused by that. You mentioned the Rod Marinelli Detroit Lions team that didn't win and really any games, and they didn't win the year that um, Joe was their defensive coordinator. But I think the, the reason that Joe is a good fit, and, and actually Joe is someone that I'm very excited about bringing on this year, is um, Jim Hazlitt, as I was alluding to, London Fletcher mentioned that he felt like he really didn't have a, a clue of what was going on. So to go out there and um, to lose Brian Arapo in free agency this year and bring in a guy um, that's led a pretty solid unit at San Diego, they haven't been too great or too, too bad one or the other, but to bring in a coach that understands a position – uh, from the linebacking core and can really help work with a lot of these young linebackers that they have on this team. You know, they've got some talented guys out there, Trent Murphy, Keenan Robinson. They just drafted Preston Smith who can move around a little bit. So to bring in somebody that can be hands-on with them and uh, really work with these guys, I think is huge and really important. And you were mentioning uh, a guy that uh, was, uh, you know, disrespecting his head coach and, and uh, kind of telling it like it is. I think that's the other part that's going to be really important for this team and the reason that they selected um, Joe Barry over somebody like Wade Phillips is his enthusiasm. I think a lot of the words that I've heard from people that have played for him and, and people that have coached alongside Joe is that uh, he's an enthusiastic guy that plays with a lot of passion and or, I'm sorry that coaches with a lot of passion and, and gets his players to play with a lot of passion and so I think that's something that's been really missing from this football team is is a passion and and really being able to um, work together and, and play hard. You know, it, it's real easy in Redskins land to 
throw the towel in because they've been so bad and had so many catastrophic things happen to them on the field, especially with Robert Griffin's injuries. But but otherwise, it's a it's a it's a, been a sorry franchise, you know. So I think that's felt with these players is um, just the disappointment. We all feel it, and and it's a team that and a city that loves their football. And when it goes sour, it, it, it hurts, guys. It really does. And so I think bringing Joe in is going to help keep those spirits up throughout the season and somebody that's not going to um, let adversity um, bring this team down. All right, so let's uh, let's run through the offense quickly. Um, it, you know, it's One of the weird things about the Redskins is they're very top-heavy and very bottom-heavy. Like They have a lot of really good players, but like bigger holes than almost any team in the league. So, I mean, receiver, you have you know, Deshaun Jackson, Pierre Garçon, and, you know, Jordan Reed is probably pretty underrated, you'd agree, right? Yeah, I think he's another guy that needs to stay healthy, but a, a dynamic playmaker when he's out there. Um, but I think what maybe a lot of fans won't notice about this team is um, some of the depth that they've added, you know, to their offense. So um, some names that may not be out there uh, for guys that are playing or on this Washington Redskins offense, I think would be... Um, somebody like a Ryan Grant, really good route runner, really solid uh, football IQ and acumen, and somebody that is a little bit taller and can come in and, and really make a difference. I think Ryan Grant is going to be somebody that's really going to push uh, Andre Roberts, who, who really hasn't shown a whole lot for this Redskins team. Um, and I think another name from the wide receiver side that's going to really surprise a lot of people and got Jamison Crowder, I believe a four-year starter at, at Duke and really came from a great uh, – program with David Cutcliffe and really understands how to play this game. Um, I, I think he's an excellent route runner, really has amazing ball skills and, and someone that's probably going to be open quite a bit for uh, RG3 this year. So I think he, those two guys in the wide receiver core should probably uh, make a difference. It's really hard to tell with rookie wide receivers. So I think We'll see when Jamison Crowder gets some of his snaps, but I think he's someone that at the end of the year you're going to see getting a lot of work. Uh, the Redskins, if they've been especially bad in one area, it's been special teams. So I think Jamison Crowder is going to get a lot of opportunities to return kicks for this team and then make a difference there. And, uh, you know, Ryan Grant, I think, is going to improve a lot from being in the system for a full year. And I think we'll look to see him challenge for some snaps as well. Um, you mentioned Jordan Reed at the tight end position. I think uh, someone that's come in and been really impressive for the Redskins and, and probably made the biggest leap on the offensive side in um, training camp so far from last season is Niles Paul. So the beneficiary of uh, Jordan Reed's health issues from last year, I think Niles really um, got a lot of snaps last season. He's someone that Mike Shanahan uh, liked at the tight end position and moved him from wide receiver. So obviously he's got... Um, some ability with with um, catching the ball and getting open, but where he really made a difference this season was bulking up and, and getting himself ready to handle NFL pass rushes. And um, so he's someone that has put on a lot of weight and looks the part and can really come out there and, and probably catch some passes, but also get more snaps because he's able to to block, which is going to be important for this run based offense that they have. And well, let me ask you. You know, you've spoken about the receivers. One big issue that this team has had has been the offensive line has been a disaster. And obviously your first-round pick was, was Brandon Scherf, who's supposed to be like an elite guard. But what I've heard about is that they're planning on slotting him in a tackle. And yeah, I think the, the offensive line is, is 
gonna be what makes this offense go this year. You know, you got a quarterback that's looking to get his confidence back. You got a, a running back that's hungry to get some yards. You spent a third round pick on a running back, Matt Jones, out of Florida, that they really want to utilize. And of course, you've got Pierre Garcon and Deshaun Jackson out there as wide receivers and, and some other nice pieces there. So obviously, the offensive line is a focal point for this team. I think you have one of the best left tackles in the game and Trent Williams who's a bit nicked up and had uh, some minor procedures this season so hopefully he's healthy but uh you know I think there's a lot of question marks on this offensive line no doubt um you know Trent Williams is health we're gonna have to monitor that and make sure that he's good to go but he played last season hurt and I think uh more than likely you can count on him slotted in at that left tackle position but um, once you start moving over from there, I think you don't really have a lot of uh, certainty. You know, Sean Laval is a decent player, but um, somebody that, you know, I, I, I haven't really seen a whole lot from and hasn't really been that great, to be honest with you. So, yeah, at the left guard position, you've got uh, somebody that, um, you know, isn't isn't bad, but isn't great. Same would probably go for Corey Lichtensteiner, um, the center. He's really great at run blocking and and somebody that I think will be good, but um, he's had ACL issues. He's had a lot of leg, lower body issues. Can he stay healthy? And, and then at right guard, you know, we are bringing in a, a new face in uh, Spencer Long and somebody that didn't really see the field a lot last year. And you would have thought if he's going to be a, a impact player and an impact blocker, like they're saying, pro- would have gotten a little bit more run last season. So he's a new face. He's coming in and he's he's a young rookie at that right guard position. And then you got, like you were saying, uh, Brandon Scherf, who's played most of his career at guard and obviously a, a nasty player and somebody that um, a lot of NFL teams are high on, but someone that hasn't played a whole lot of right tackle and someone that some knocks to his arm length and being able to really get around on some of these speed rushers. And so that's going to be pretty important to block for RG3 if he's trying to become a pocket passer this year. So I think the answer to all of these things for Redskins fans is is the new offensive line coach and his uh, guru, Bill Callahan, who's come in to really solidify this unit. But I think in coaching, you're only as good as your players are, right, guys? So I think, you know, we'll see how he'll really be put to the test this year, you know, and uh, we'll see how good uh, that line can be because they're going to need it. That's for sure. Quickly run through the defense. Again, you have some really good players like uh, Pot Roast and uh, Ryan Kerrigan. Of course, you lost to Rackpo. Chris Culver has actually become a pretty good player. But who who are the guys who really make you nervous on the defense? Uh, you mentioned Pot Rose coming in. I, I'm really excited about him as um, a player and as a leader on this team. So hopefully he can help work with a lot of these younger players. Um, I, I'm worried about some of the young guys. We were blessed enough to have a player like London Fletcher man the middle of this defense for a number of years. By the Redskins fans are totally irrational about London Fletcher. The last couple of years, he was like statistically like the worst player in the NFL. I don't know. Redskins fans loved him, though. I love him. I love him. And you're probably right. You know, um, with his replacement, Keenan Robinson, I think you you saw someone that statistically did pretty good last year and and got a, a huge number of tackles. But that may have been due to the ineptitude of this defensive line. I think you had some guys like Barry Cofield and and a lot of suspect players along that line. And, and that led to a lot of holes for, for um, offenses to run to. And I think they've kind of filtered a lot through Keenan Robinson. And he was able to get a lot of tackles. So I, I think I want to see Keenan play a lot better this year and, and see some of that leadership quality, which we'll need out of that middle linebacker position. And then I think you're worried about the secondary. Probably one of the worst secondaries statistically last season. Chris Culliver, who's going to be 
a solid player and has played really well throughout his career. But beyond that, you've got new faces basically everywhere. You know, we had uh, Brashad Breland play really well last season who got a uh, one-game suspension for marijuana. And now in the, the day that the suspension came down, he went out and sprained his MCL in practice and is probably going to be out for about um, four weeks and probably will be coming back right around when his suspension is over. And we've spent a high draft pick on a guy like David Emerson, who also got nicked up a bit in practice and has really been mediocre in in every phase of the game and has really blown a lot of assignments, hasn't been good at tackling. And so... Um, who's going to step in and be that second starting quarterback for this team? Um, D'Angelo Hall is coming off a, a, a Achilles tear, and someone probably along that London Fletcher mode that Redskins fans really love and, and has done some good things, but is probably past his prime at this point. And then you look at the back end of this defense, the, the probably in today's NFL, um, a really important part of any defense, and we're going to have a couple new faces out there. Um, Deshaun Goldson comes over from the Buccaneers and someone that Scott McLuhan had some familiarity with in San Francisco, but was terrible last year. And, yeah, he was like Bucks unspeakably uniform. bad last year. To the, really, the really bad. Sometimes, I, like maybe it was an injury thing, and I don't know. I didn't watch. You know, obviously nobody really was watching the Bucks last year. But <laughs> the problem is sometimes in the NFL, like guy skills just go. Like maybe he has a little injury, and you know the speed's not there or his heart's not in it anymore. Like a guy like Goldson, it's very possible he's just finished. Yeah, I think you're right, you know, and I think it's hard to tell what's going on with a lot of these in the heads of some of these players. You know, I think um, coaching situations are, are so delicate and scheme is so important nowadays in the NFL and, and you really can't um, get as physical with wide receivers as you used to. So it's tough for a lot of these guys playing in the secondary. And I think for someone like Deshaun, um, he's put into a Tampa 2 system when he's a guy that flourished a lot more in the box. I I'm, hope, I'm hoping that I'm not going to be seeing another rendition of Brandon Merriweather who's just coming in and playing recklessly and hitting people in the helmet-to-helmet variety every single game. But that's kind of what Deshaun is. He's a guy that's uh, going to be great in the run and hopefully someone that's athletic enough to cover ground and, and be uh, watchful in the back end, but someone that really flourished in the run game and was put into a system in the Tampa 2 where he was assigned a zone and, and put more into coverage. And I don't think that really suited him. But um, to your point, he was historically bad last year, which can't be overlooked. And and on the other side, you got two guys that, you know, probably aren't, you know, going to be too great uh, at, at the strong safety position when you're talking about Jerron Johnson or Duke Nacho. I mean, Jerron's an enthusiastic player. I think, I think one thing that's really great about Scott McLuhan is when he's bringing on players to this team. If he can, he's bringing on guys that have, a knack for special teams, which has been, uh, like I said, a horrible um, unit for the Redskins for as long as they've been bad. And so bringing in guys like uh, uh, Jerome Johnson or Jerome Johnson is going to be important for addressing special teams, and I think something that's going to be helpful. But can he play safety? Uh, can Duki and Nacho play safety, and can they cover people back there? Is going to be an interesting thing to watch for. All right, so now let's let's turn to the schedule. Um... You know, one, one benefit of struggling is this is a really easy schedule that Washington has. You know, there's no easy divisional matchup really in the NFC East, but, you know, not that any of the teams are world beaters, but they all look pretty solid. But the only other good team you really play this year is the Patriots. So let's run through this week by week. And, you know, we're, we're hearing a lot of confidence from fans uh, early in the season. But as a reminder, it's not about, you know, do you think you can win this game? It's do you think you are going to win this game? So 
let's let's go through the schedule and you tell us, you know, how, how you see the season turning out for Washington. So week one, you're starting out at home against the Miami Dolphins. I think it's going to be a low scoring affair. I think that's going to be a tough matchup for them to start. You know, I think looking through the schedule last year, I had some of the feelings that you guys were saying, wow, this is a really easy schedule. And you get into some of these games and when you're a bad football team, you get exposed by even some of the worst. I mean, they got drubbed last year by the Buccaneers. And so starting with the Dolphins, that's going to be a, a tough matchup for them to really run the ball and get that offense started in right, week so one. Are you making it a win or a loss? I'm going to give that a loss. That's a right, tough way. All right. Okay, week two, you're still at home, this time against the Rams. Hopefully one where they can come back and be able to get something going in this game. But I think you're going to face a lot of the same issues that you faced with the, the Dolphins which is a really scary defensive line and a really tough defense. Um, but I think the the Rams have a lot to prove on the offensive side of the ball, and you can't win games if you can't score. So I, I think this will be another low-scoring affair, but one that the Redskins should have enough offensive firepower to, to put up more points than the St. Louis Rams at home in Week 2. Then you got a short week Thursday night. You go to New York to face the Giants. They've struggled a lot with divisional opponents this year, but um, the Giants are going to be a tough test for them on the road early on. But I, I think you know it takes a long time for some of these new techniques to, to fall into place, and I think this is one where you could start to see that turnover ratio going pretty well for them. And, and so I think... It can go on in, in week three and get a, a nice road win and be two and one. All right, so Eli throws three picks. The the surprising Washington football team, two and one, and they come back home to face the Eagles on 10 days rest. Philly's going to be a tough team, I think. So I expect Philadelphia to be really good. Philadelphia Eagles will probably get themselves a, a win there, right. and the Redskins will see them later in the season. Yeah, so you're still two and two. Not bad. You go down to Atlanta the next week. Atlanta's going to be a, a tough game. I think I, I see the, the Falcons probably coming away with that one. Um, right. And okay. maybe... So yeah. back to the Meadowlands again, this time to face the Jets. The Redskins should go into to New York and and uh, get a road win there after having a tough loss against the Falcons the week before. Wow, so two wins in the Meadowlands in the first six weeks. I would venture to say that'll be more than the Giants or the Jets have, if you can uh, pull that one off. And so you're, <laughs> you're three and three, and then you come home to face Tampa Bay, which which looks like an easy win on paper. But as you said, that was a uh, struggle for Washington last year. Jameis probably brings a lot of that enthusiasm that Robert Griffin brought to the locker room in his first year. I don't think it, I, there hasn't been many, if any, guys that come in and and um, have two thousand yard wide receivers to throw to like Jameis does. This is typically the types of losses that you see the Redskins have where you know the storyline if they were to pull off those two road wins would be wow look at this team, look at what they've done on the road. And I think like you said, this is a team that gave them problems last year and I'm not willing to um, look at some of these teams that just torch them in the secondary and say that that's going to be fixed again this year. So I think you, whether it's an upset or not, I think you see this team struggle and probably take a loss at home to the Bucks and uh, be disappointed. All right, so let's go, in, let's go into a win-loss mode after the bye. Foxborough on November 8th. So is that Pats game a win or a loss? I don't see many teams that are going to go into <laughs> New England and get a win, much less this Redskins team. So I, I think that would probably be a loss, guys. All right, so you're 3-5 and five at the halfway point. Also, what, what number would you peg? Jay Gruden needs to win X number of games to keep his job. He, it's hard to tell with Dan Snyder, you know, what he's what's going on in his head. <laughs> but I think, uh, I think you know, at least improve on last season. I think you got to get to at least five or six, five or six wins. For them not oh, you think so? Yeah, I mean, if he's not getting yeah. the five six wins, he's getting fired for sure. Steve, you just got to be careful here because what we say about Dan Snyder, because I don't want this podcast getting sued. So. Yeah, you got to be careful. You can blame it on me, I'm sure, Dan. I, for all that I've put up with with Dan, he should throw me a bone with this one. So you can blame it on me if he comes after. You. <laughs> 
So then you host Drew Brees and the Saints. Season on the line at three and five. You can't lose another one. Well, they, weren't they three and six? The, the RG 3s rookie year, and then they ran off seven wins in a row. Yeah, I mean, all right, fine. So you can lose this one. Keep losing. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, I think the Saints team has a lot of questions and the team that had to make a lot of salary cap moves this year. So I'd like to think coming after a couple tough losses, this team would be hungry for a win. And um, I think that this Saints team would be one that they could they could come across with a win. Um, nice. At so home. five, another NFC South game the next week at Cam Newton and the Panthers. Going to be a big game for them. You know, they need to try to equalize that record. And I think... Um, it'll be a good time for them to go on the road and, and do something against Cam. You know, I think they lost a couple guys towards the end of the year, and um, hopefully someplace that they Redskins can feel confident about moving the ball on offense and, and not too many electric playmakers there. So I think they can go into Carolina and handle that football team. Yes. They're 5-5, five and five, and now you have two home games against NFC's teams, Giants and the Cowboys at home. The pressure's been on this football team in the past. They've wilted, you know, so I think you're going to see a team that's 5-5, five and five, going into this this stretch and especially if we went on the road and early on in the season and got one against new york i think they're going to be anxious to to get another win and i think this this redskins team will surprise you in the worst ways and come out with with wins when you don't think that they should like last season on monday night football against the cowboys and i think this would be well i think the cowboys would definitely want some revenge and this would be a perfect time for a 5-5 five and five Redskins team to put in a couple stinkers and go 0-2 at home and just suck the wind out of the season. So I could, I, I think I'd see them going, dropping these two games right here with the Giants and the Cowboys, and then coming back and trying to make a Hail Mary with these last four games on their schedule. 5-7, and seven, they go to the, the Bears. Who They should be better than the Bears and the Bills. I think they should go to Chicago and be able to get a win there. And, and I think that they, you know, it won't be easy. They Chicago has some playmakers, and I think that's been a problem for them. But I think if the, the Redskins can go into Chicago, conquer some of their demons on the road, probably in the cold, and handle that, that you know, formidable passing attack, I think they have a great shot to get some momentum and come in and, and beat the Bills and be 7-7 seven and seven again. They're, these last two games on this Redskins schedule are going to be really big. You know, the playing at the Eagles the day after Christmas and a showdown again with the Cowboys at the end of the year. The Redskins got obliterated by the Cowboys at the end of the year last year. So I think if this team is wants to, to make some changes and really wants to change the, the fortune of this team, if Jay Gruden wants to keep his job, if RG3 wants to stay with this football team, I think they're going to have to win at least one of these games, and it, it's going to have to be with something on the line. You know, I think it's going to – if for whatever reason we get to these two games against marquee teams in our division, like you guys said, Dan Snyder is going to be itching to make a decision. So I think if you're looking at this weekend around Christmas time and Jay Gruden hasn't put together, you know, at least six or seven wins and have themselves in the hunt, I think you might see Daniel Snyder get a, a, a little – Grinch-like and uh, do something drastic. All right, so those Eagles and Cowboys games are those wins or losses. I think this team pulls it out and goes nine and seven and wins the last two games. How about how about that? That's a lot of confidence there. So you're going to go on the road, beat the Eagles, beat the Cowboys. I think if you do that, you might be winning the division at nine and seven. You know, because that that'll have been what is it uh, four and two in the division? I think you'll be right there. Yeah, that's that's a lot of confidence you got. And what's that? A four game win streak to end the season from five and seven to nine and seven. I can dream, can I? You know, the reason I came to this team is because you know I. Wait, my you're dad on the is team. From, I'm on the team now. I'm on the <laughs> roster. 
But the reason I came to this team as a fan was, you know, I think the year that really did it for me was the year that they made the playoffs when um, Sean Taylor passed away, and that's how they did it. You know, they won a bunch of games at the end of the year, and I think that's the the MO of this team is, you know, they're going to be up and down, and there's going to be adversity, but, you know, when this team really has something special going, they'll they'll show that to you and kind of prove a lot of people wrong. So I think if they're going to do anything this year, it's going to be of that variety. You guys watch out for them. Can you give us uh, 30 seconds or less? Do you call them the Redskins? What's your opinion on the name? Should they change it? <laughs> I call them the Redskins. I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's really gotten blown out of proportion, and uh, there's a lot of teams that utilize a, a logo that's of, um, you know, uh, Indian influence. You know, and I think so. I, I think the word is so pretty. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, it's tough. I, I've been through so much <laughs> at, with this team that the name thing, I don't even really think too much about it. Honestly, you know, I, I wouldn't mind if they changed it. I, I'm really indifferent, I guess, if uh, the short answer. Thank you so much, Stephen After, for joining us today. Uh, sounds like a sober analyst depressed about his team going 5-7, and seven, but all of a sudden turning around in December, a four-game winning streak and possibly RG3 leading his team back into the playoffs at 9-7. and seven. We'll have to wait and see. But thanks again, Stephen, for joining us. On Twitter, you're Stevie. That's S-T-E-V-I-E-2-X. Is that right? That's me on Twitter. Thanks, guys. You have a good one. And so at 28th, we had Washington. And at 27, we have what might be their AFC equivalent, the Cleveland Browns, a franchise that also has had a lot of trouble the last few years, both on and off the field. With us today to discuss the Cleveland Browns, is Jim Latronica. Hey, Jim, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. You know, we've started with the 32nd ranked team, so we're slowly moving our way up. I would say that things are slowly getting less and less depressing. But mm-hmm. as we hit Cleveland, this is a team that went 7-9 and last year, which which is a better record than any team we've yet discussed. But this is also a team with less optimism than just about any of the teams we've discussed. So right off the bat, I'll ask you, how do you feel about that 27 ranking that we've given Cleveland? I don't think it's unreasonable, and, and when you look at that seven and nine, you'll remember that there was a time when they were six and three, and for I think it was a couple of days had the lead in the AFC North. Um, and even at the time, I knew Hoyer wasn't the answer. I knew it was a mirage. Losing in that way at the end of the season is depressing, and I think it's a fair ranking because we haven't done anything yet. You mentioned the uh, the hometown hero or the second one after LeBron, but you said <laughs> but you said that you never really believed in him. Now he's gone. Uh, the problem is you replaced him with Josh McCown. And right. as we made fun of the folks in Tampa on that podcast, uh-huh. Josh McCown had a, has a decade in the league as a mediocre quarterback. He had seven decent games for Chicago. Tampa uh-huh. decided uh, to, to gamble heavily on that. That failed miserably last year. And yep. now the Browns, it's basically between him and, and Johnny Football. And from what I've heard so far, basically, the Browns, they don't want to go with McCown because they don't think he's very good. But Manziel has been so bad that they don't really have a choice. Yeah, it's uh, it's changed even just the last week of camp and then this this first intra-squad scrimmage at um, Ohio Stadium in Columbus. I, I really think the problem was Hoyer was still trying to make a career. He wanted to be a starter. He wanted a big contract. He wasn't willing or able to mentor Johnny Manziel, had no interest in it. It didn't work out. It was ugly at the end. McCown, on the other hand, he's past his prime, if he ever had one. And he's at least willing, he's at least willing to take on the role of mentor. And honestly, if even Manziel somehow comes out, has a competent preseason and starts, I don't think it would be a problem with McCown, which is why they gave him a bigger contract than he deserves and why they brought him in and let uh, Brian Hoyer go. So they gave him a contract so he wouldn't complain if he gets benched? Is that what you're saying? I, I, I really, you know, I have no, I have no inside information, but I'm saying, I think that's the thing. You know, he's, what is he, 35 or 36? He's not 
not going to get another big contract from another team. So at this point, you know, he, he gets a, a nice uh, bump in his bank account. He can teach a young kid, and if he plays, he plays, and if he doesn't, he doesn't. He's not very good, and I think he knows it, which is good for the Browns. Who's going to be making the decision for which quarterback starts? Again, that's hard to say because I, I think you're alluding to some of those rumors where Jimmy Haslam had more to to do with the draft maybe than people said at first, and et cetera. I think it will be Mike Pettin and DeFilippo, the the new offensive coordinator. I think Ray Farmer sort of learned his lesson. He's taken less of that rock-ribbed, my-way-or-the-highway approach. He sort of cut that out a bit and said, I'll get guys, we have our big board for the draft, we'll chase free agents, I'll leave the stuff on the field to uh, the coaches. And that's a positive sign for me because I, I wasn't a big fan of Pettin or Farmer at the beginning of last season. Pettin grew on me, and Farmer has been extremely obnoxious up until several weeks ago. Pettin's interesting. I'm a Jets fan, and uh, I'm certainly familiar with Pettin because he was our defensive coordinator. He's, he's an interesting guy. I think he's probably better than almost any other coach at, like, buttering up the press. All right. the media guys seem to love him. And there's a, a Jets book, Collision Low Crossers, which... It's a oh, weird yep. book. It didn't get a lot of publicity, but, he, you know, Rex Ryan basically gave the writer uh, full access to the Jets locker room for a full year, which mm. really nobody's ever done, in, at least in the last NFL is a Goliath sort of era. And he didn't write a great book. You know, he didn't really know football well. But I'm bringing this up because Pettin was clearly his source for every single word in the whole book. What, what are Brown's views on Pettin? And, uh, you know, like, why you said he grew on you, why? After going through guys like Eric Mangini, Pat Shermer, just real tools when it comes to dealing with the media. And, and then you, you talk about Mike Holmgren, you know, don't call me for playoff tickets. Well, don't worry, we won't, because we weren't even close, Mike. It's okay. So it's sort of a breath of fresh air where sometimes he can slip into those football cliches, and especially I notice with guys who are defensive-minded, you know, sometimes they can slip into those, we got to play good defense, we got to run the ball, it's like, well, I mean, sort of, but it's it's a passing league, and, and he seems to have accepted that. Uh, the schemes reflect that, even if the sort of philosophy that he espouses to the media is different. So just just because he can seems to be able to adapt, he can sort of adjust on the fly. And and specifically, thing that he said, McCown is going to be the starter, even at this intra squad scrimmage at Ohio State. Uh, Manziel wasn't even supposed to get any first team reps, but he's improved in practice, and so he's like, okay, well, he's he's doing well. We got to get so the, this the flexibility, the adaptation. I'd say you, you mentioned how he grew on you, and and I guess you couldn't have expected much more than that, considering the fact that when he got the job, it was sort of the last offer after basically everybody else said no to it. Right. But just to take a step back before we jump into the roster, it, mm -hmm. you just mentioned the fact that they couldn't find a head coach. There there was the controversy with front office sending text messages down to the sidelines. Yeah. You know, an owner whose company was being indicted. There yeah. just seems to be so much pessimism and negativity yeah. around the Browns, basically mm -hmm. in every respect. Uh -huh. And then you have, you know, you know, obviously with LeBron coming back, that, that's sort of the most exciting thing in Cleveland sports in the last sure. 12 months. But yeah. Cleveland is still a football town. Right. And I'm just wondering, are Browns fans just really pessimistic at this point? Or? And this is actually a really complicated question uh, and a, a really good one because there's a, sort of a stratification now. I'm I'm 27. Um, you know, my dad is uh, a 60. 
And then you have, you know, very young kids in elementary school. I remember growing up, the Browns had moved by the time I was in, you know, later elementary school and they were terrible after that. So I'd see, you know, you'd see Packers starter jackets, Brett Favre jerseys. The Browns among the youth when I was young and, you know, little kids are front runners because they're terrible. Um, but you know, they, they, they buy the jerseys and the stuff, the players who are good. We've never had that. You know, you can't buy a Browns jersey and say, I'm going to be able to wear this for five or 10 years because you don't know. So I think in some ways the older generation is, you know, they, they have their tradition and they have those championships before there, there was a Super Bowl. But for, for people like me, it's just been growing up with failure of an unimaginable magnitude uh, for the Browns. So honestly, it's, it's a lot about just sticking with it because I was born with it. I don't, nothing in it is rational. And as I always say, the, the best way to approach any Brown season or situation is a maximum excitement level of cautious optimism. I'm glad you mentioned pre-Super Bowl era because I, I'm sort of a, a stats nerd and a history nerd. And, mm-hmm. and Graham, he might be statistically the greatest yeah. quarterback of all time, just in terms of his record, the numbers he put up in his era. Jim right. Brown, you know, this was just the dominant franchise in football in the 40s yeah. and the 50s. Yeah. And it's only because we invented a thing called the Super Bowl in 1967 right. that – that you know that nobody that nobody mentions that and so people just look at Cleveland as a hard luck franchise but right yeah it's and it's 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 interesting you say that because you know when when people hang up world series banners um you know that's that's been the same uh contest or name basically since well before modern baseball and so because there's that divide uh, however arbitrary it is it is just i mean the browns are Losers and have won nothing. Even you know, obviously, people will forget about those those uh, early, mid, and late '80s teams that got so close, um, and of course failed in the most spectacular way possible, as befits Cleveland. Uh, but you're right; it is just because of that arbitrary designation of what a championship is called. All that is um, forgotten. Yeah, I want to ask you. So you're 27 years old. Uh, yes. So you probably remember a little bit before they went away, and then everything afterwards, right? A little bit, and my dad was a big fan of uh, taping on VHS, so we go back and watch some old games. So I'm somewhat familiar. All right. Uh, VHS did uh, not exist the last time the Browns were uh, winning championships. <laughs> no, so. it, it didn't. No, no, no. But what, the last time they were uh, decent, it did. That's the ones he was referring. So, to. Oh, oh, so I'm sorry. I was talking about. No, no, not, no, not the '64. You're talking about the Kozar era. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Oh, um, I want. What's the best Browns moment of your Browns fandom? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I have two. Uh, the w- one comes before you know. I was. I mean, I was alive for it, but I wasn't cognizant. But it's one of those. We sort of watched on tape every year when the uh, uh, the Browns beat the Steelers uh, 51 to nothing. That that was a great moment. It was a, a good. I forget exactly what season it was. Modernly, the Browns went nine and seven. I think it was the 01-02 season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, got in the playoffs. It was only it was Couch's. I think third third or fourth season. You know, getting in the playoffs was big. I hadn't known that. And then just like with everything good comes you know, something terrible, and we lost to the Steelers for the third time in that season, twice in the regular season, and then they beat us in the wild card game. And, I think, so and wasn't that perfect. wild card game, that was the, the greatest wild card Sunday of all time. It was that game and that Giants 49ers. Yeah, Giants back Niners. Back. And those yeah. were both phenomenal games. Yeah, Kelly Holcomb still has, I think, uh, he's still like top five all time. Uh, and you might say, listeners might say, Kelly Holcomb, who? And I would say exactly. He has his own barbecue sauce, or did in Cleveland. He threw for over 400 yards in a playoff game, and uh, we still lost. So Yeah, all right, so let's talk about the offense for a second. I think 
if anybody would really uh, take a deep dive into the Browns roster, it's Ooh. one of the most interesting ones in the league because you could make a case, and maybe you will, the Browns might have the best O-line in the league, and they I think the Browns themselves claim they have the best secondary in the league, which statistics kind of back up. Yeah. Uh, but starting with the offense, sure. you know, what are you seeing in terms of their skill position? What are you expecting anyone to break out? Because obviously, drill dearth of talent. Uh, and they lost Jordan Cameron, who I think was their best talent. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, I, I will. I will real fast. I will say I actually do. I, I played offensive line um, division three in college, so I do tend to watch the offensive line maybe more than the average fan. And so real fast, because obviously the skill positions are more interesting no matter what, even for me. Um, Mitchell Schwartz, the right tackle, he, he was he was a natural guard. He sort of gets dumped on a lot because he just, I mean, he gets blown up a lot. I think he's overmapped. The, the shuffling of the line, and if Schwartz can move over, if there's some way that that could happen, that might be ideal. Um, in terms of skill positions, I remember uh, joking uh, with my dad on the phone because, you know, this was like a, a buffet or a, 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 an embarrassment of riches uh, for free agents this year. And our big signing originally was uh, Brian Hartline, um, consummate possession receiver. Um, but when you look at what we had last year, I think Hartline, you know, Dwayne Bow, um, we have uh, Taylor Gabriel, a younger guy. It's a younger team with some veterans. Uh, again, no one's going to burn you. Nothing's um, set in stone, especially at wide receiver. I'd say the most interesting skill position uh, this season, this preseason, is whether or not Terrell Pryor, you know, former Ohio State quarterback, uh, it was a long shot for him to make the team, and now it seems like he could actually get quite a few snaps. So that's what I would say the most interesting right now position is. Receivable. That's not a great sign. I liked Andrew Hawkins in the slot last year. You can't even get to receivers if you don't know if it's between Manziel, who was just atrocious when he was playing, yeah. and McCown. It's just yeah. like, what reason is there for the Browns to not have one of the worst two or three offenses in the league if they can't figure out the quarterback position? Yeah, I would I would say with the offense, the ideal situation for me is Manziel continues this progression from this last week of camp, this intra-squad scrimmage, carries it into the preseason, and he's just at least competent enough or so good that he takes over. They focus on the run. They focus on play-action passes, which were the only passes Brian Hoyer could even complete were play-action. Everyone talks about how advanced stats, he's so great off play-action. That's because those were the only ones he could complete. So, you know, ease Manziel in. If he starts week one, it would be beautiful because, you know, if you have a first-round pick, it's the second year, figure out what you have. I don't know what Johnny Manziel will be, but I do know that Josh McCown will not be the Browns quarterback even probably next season, even if he would somehow start all 16 games. So knowing that, why not see what you have? Fans must have been annoyed that you guys didn't go after like a Brandon Marshall or Torrey Smith, though. A little bit. You know, I, Brandon Marshall, I think, is, is turning 30. Um, Torrey Smith, you know, he's, he's sort of a boomer bust guy. In terms of, you know, he, he does draw a lot of uh, pass interference. Yeah, but you're, the guys you have are buster bust guys. Oh, no, ex no, I, I completely agree. And that's that's what I'm saying. I think they sort of went low-key in this uh, um, offseason in terms of free agents. If you don't have a quarterback, it, I mean, and that's the problem with the Browns. Since they've been back, you know, I, I'm not going to go through every roster in the AFC North since they've been back, but essentially they've had the worst quarterback in the division since they've been back. So you can't win that way. So I think they were trying to see, let's not put pressure on Manziel. Let's see if he can produce. Then if he does, 
you know, we can cut some dead wood if we need to then go after because a great receiver, you know, it, it's useless. I mean, even just if you play fantasy football, no one's going to draft Brandon Marshall uh, in the second round when Geno Smith is throwing to him. So I was okay with the offseason given what we have. So we've spoken about an offense that, you know, despite a very good offensive line, might be hampered because of what they have behind that. Yes. And on the defense, it's a little bit the opposite. As we said, the secondary is very good, but, you know, so the back line is good, but what do they have up front? So I know that they added Danny Shelton out of Washington in the draft, yeah. and then Randy Starks uh, joined the team as well. Talk to us a little bit about the front seven and, you know, wh- where there's room for improvement there or, or if you think they're going to struggle again. Before last season, I, th- I actually thought it was a strength. Um, then there were some injuries. Um, some lesser-known guys um, – he was a, I think he was a seventh round pick in 2013, Armani Bryant. He sort of shifts between the tackle slash end position. He, he gets really good pressure. Randy Starks, I didn't really watch him in Miami. I mean, it was almost like we raided the AARP this year in free agency with Starks and, <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, Dwayne Bowe and, you know, just, just give us your AARP card and you can have a spot. So really, I think the key is if Shelton can play, if he's a competent starter, which it appears he'll be, That'll be huge. The other thing is Phil Taylor has torn every fiber of connective tissue in his body for like the last three seasons straight. So it's hard. You know, he was a first round pick. Essentially, we traded down. We took him instead of Julio Jones. Now, I don't know if our record or any success would have been different if we had Julio Jones instead of Phil Taylor. But all I know is we have Phil Taylor and he barely plays when he plays. He's good. Um, but yeah, the, the front the front seven it should have some depth. Uh, Billy Wynn, he's from Boise State. It was a six round pick a few years ago. Um, very solid. So there is depth if uh, people can stay healthy. What about Barkevius Mingo? How is he doing? He well, last season it came out near the end of the season that you might be aware that he was basically playing with one shoulder all season. And one thing that I was sort of wary about early on was I didn't understand this. This this was a guy. He was a hand in the dirt end go get the ball, go get the quarterback at LSU. And then all of a sudden he comes to Cleveland and they go, oh, actually, we're going to have you stand up. We're going to have you cover some tight ends, some running backs, some wide receivers. You're going to play linebacker. And, I mean, it's really hard to change positions even within college, you know, not mentioning going up to the NFL, then changing position. So I thought they put too much on him right away. They took him at six um, in the first round, which, you know, I, I honestly don't, that draft wasn't super uh, spectacular. Um, so he, he's apparently he's improved. His shoulders healed. Hopefully they don't have him covering as many people. Just have him go attack the quarterback. That's what he's done his whole career. I, I don't know what this fascination is with trying to change positions on a team that's already, you know, devoid of talent. Turn to the schedule now. Sure. D- despite, despite being a last place team, the Browns are, do not have a very favorable schedule this year. I think you play both the AFC West and the NFC West, yeah. which are two pretty tough divisions. And of course, in your own division, you have three teams above you, all of whom expect to make the playoffs and, and even, you know, deep runs into the playoffs. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, all that being said, I think the schedule actually starts about as easy as it's going to get right in the beginning. Yes. So in week one, you, you travel to New York to play the Jets or New yes. Jersey, I should say. Yes. Is that a win or a loss? I really think they, they had some free agent acquisitions. I think they're a little overrated. You know, since the Browns have been back, they've only won one week one game. I'm going to tell you what, I think they're not very good. I think the Browns are going to come out hungry. I'll give them the win, even though my heart says don't get too excited. All right. So then you come home. 
and you play Tennessee and then Oakland. Those are two very winnable home games. Yeah, um, so that's that's exactly it. So we have two winnable home games right in a row with the Titans and the Raiders. Got to assume, based on precedent, that they'll lose one of those eminently winnable games. Uh, Mariota is a rookie quarterback. They'll win. They'll go 2-0. and Then the Raiders come in. Luckily, you don't have to play on their ugly field with the baseball dirt on it. Um, but we'll still blow that. We'll lose something like 13-9. and nine. So we're 2-1 and one after three weeks. All right, so 2-1 and one after three weeks is not bad for the Browns, although no. as you said last week year they started 6-3. and three, And and worse is the fact that even if they were to start 3-0, and oh, I'm looking at the schedule, and I don't, yes. I don't see another game where they're favored until at least December. So week yep. four, you go to San Diego. Yeah, the Chargers drafted Melvin Gordon. Uh, I think he's really good. I think they got a good deal. An aging Phillip Rivers will lean heavily on the run. They're 2-1, and one, but on the West Coast, the Browns, I don't know if they've won a game since 64 on the West Coast. I'm going to have to pencil wow. that in as an L. That's a um, uh, that, was, that was a hyperbole, but uh, yeah. Oh, so. Okay. <laughs> all right. and then, but then you travel all the way back across the country and you play Baltimore right. the next week. Yeah. See, that's one of those... You know, we started 2-0, and and now we're counted out, and all of a sudden they'll get excited. It's a division game, and, you know, we're in their house. I don't think Joe Flacco's really all that good. I think they're aging, sort of like the Steelers, and I think it's a 1 o'clock, you know, nonsense game that no one's really watching because the Browns stink, the Ravens aren't exciting. We'll give a win on October 11th. Wow, into Baltimore. Wow. And a win, and 1-0 in the division. And then you come home and you face Peyton Manning <laughs> and the Broncos. It doesn't have to get easier. Lost. All right. Okay. That was quick. Then you go to St. Louis. Uh, yeah. A very improving team. Nick Foles just signed a big contract. Very solid defense. I, You know, one of the most underrated defenses, Robert Quinn. They have a lot of uh, good players, uh, but, you know, they're sort of like the Browns in that, you know, they don't have a good quarterback. So it seems like a toss-up, one of those that'll, you know, be a 13-10 to 10 game. Uh, what time is it? One o'clock on CBS. Uh, Wait, they just got pick, blown up. Make different predictions if the games are on CBS or Fox. Yeah, he's got the home, ne- he's got <laughs> yeah, the home no, network I, advantage I, I, on the road, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it, do, it does. Uh, it do, especially if Ian Eagles announcing the Browns game, just pencil it in as a loss. You oh boy, Ian, there, I don't think I, that might. I hyperbolize about the West Coast thing. Ian Eagles never announced the Browns win. Um, we should. I, I, too bad we don't have like a research department. I would want to. Look <laughs> I know. I, sh- I shouldn't just say things like that without without backing up. But I'm pretty sure uh, at the Rams. Uh, we'll say that's a win, so we're at four and three. Four and three. One, two, and then, yep, yeah. three. And then you, yep, then you yep. come home and you face Arizona, and another NFC West team who uh, yes. looks to be improving. Yeah, I actually think Bruce Arians is a really good coach. I think Carson Palmer is still a really good quarterback. Um, oh, that's a that's on Fox. That'll be joke. <laughs> that will be a loss. We'll be four and four. That's going to be uh, Albert, I think, and Moose Johnson probably. Oh boy, <laughs> shut off the sound. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe we have a chance then. We'll okay, now, 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 you, now you face the meteor schedule. You have four games in a row against the division. You start, you go at yeah. Cincinnati on Thursday night, short rest, and then you got ten days and you go at Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, so I didn't, uh, I didn't throw in this little um, wrinkle, but I, I'm saying by week they're not going to throw Johnny Manziel into the fire. So I think maybe at the Rams week seven is when he might start. But so now we're that is the fire though. That's like the best defensive team. Well, it is, but I'm saying overall, not that, you know, you're not going to put him against the Broncos, I don't think. It's I would start, start Manziel against the Jets if I, you know, and the Titans if I wanted, but I, I, mean, I get what you're saying. I know. Oh, no, believe me, if I was Mike Patton, I would be 100% behind that. So, but, but the other thing is, if they're three and three, yeah. right, can they, can they switch quarterbacks at that point? Well, that was what they were saying about Hoyer, and, and I remember that the Browns dominated the Steelers 30 to 17. And everyone's like, oh, see, Hoyer can get it done. Hoyer was 8 of 17. That's the stat line of a quarterback who was murdered in the middle of a game. 
That's not a that's not a winning stat line. So yeah, we'll we'll see. But the Bengals, uh, it's Thursday night. Andy Dalton is terrible in prime time. Browns win fifty to four. Wow. <laughs> Two safeties just because we're Two full. Safeties. Of wow. Dalton just runs off the field twice. I mean, uh, Manziel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. So now you're not not only are you four and three, but I think you're two and zero in the division at this point. Right. With road right. wins against the Ravens and Bengals, can you get the road sweep the next week in Pittsburgh? Oh no! See, that's exactly what the guys on the radio and TV will say. You know, two and zero in the division, they're going into Pittsburgh. Can they get it done? No, they can't. Loss at Pittsburgh. I, it's worth mentioning. Uh, you guys go thirty five days between road games at this point. That's you know, for a team that was better, that would be a, a plus. But you know, I'm not going to get too excited about it right now. A bye week and then three home games. So you host the Ravens. I said we went in to M&T and we, we beat them after getting beaten by the Chargers. Um, this is a primetime game, but Andy Dalton, unfortunately, is not involved. So we will lose on ESPN to the Ravens. That could be a good game. Five and five Browns fighting for the season against the five and five Ravens. Yes, it might. Yep. And then you host the uh, Bengals the next week at five and six now. I think Marv Lewis is actually secretly a really bad coach, and Andy Dalton is not so secretly a really bad quarterback. I'll go with the divisional sweep of the Bengals this season. Wow, when was the last time you guys swept the Bengals? Jamal Lewis. No, I don't even think it was that. I, our last playoff encounter, we won. It might have been that season. That would have been like 80. Oh. The older, because the Bengals have been bad for a long time, also. Yeah, you know, yeah, they have. Yeah, you know, I, Mar- I, I, Marv I, Lewis is the master of the eight and eight or the nine and seven, which is how he, he keeps his job forever. But yeah, yeah, he's he's yeah, exactly. Uh, so now you host the Niners, the reeling Niners. Yes, yeah, they they could be zero twelve right now. They, I, I really, yeah, I think people are overselling the 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 mystique and the tradition. Tomsell is a defensive line coach. That usually doesn't translate well. Colin Kaepernick is overrated. Everyone on their roster has retired or is concussed into oblivion. Um, yeah, they might be winless or have one win. Uh, this will be uh, uh, a pretty boring game, but, yeah, the Browns will win this one. Above 500 in December. Yeah. Oh boy. The last four Decembers, the uh, the Browns have one win, I think, the last four Decembers. I just heard that statistic. So so the 7-6 and six Browns go to the 11-2 and two Seattle Seahawks the next week. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I don't. I just don't see a way I can spin this. Um, <laughs> I know you're trying. Well, with the, the Broncos, only, he just said loss and moved on. So yeah, yeah. At least I was, I was on. I mean, that's early in the season. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just don't see in in any way how how that's a how that's a matchup that can work out in the Browns' favor. So yeah, I'll take the lump. Um, and hopefully by this time, Manziel has five thousand passing yards and can, uh, you know, <laughs> put a good end to the season here. Oh boy. Uh, and then you guys go to Casey. I'd like to say, I was, I was thinking about this looking at your roster. Warning. Hot take approaching. Yeah. You guys had an Alex Smith or like a Ryan Tannehill. You yeah. know, like a league average quarterback. This is yeah. the 16th best QB is. I think you'd probably make the playoffs this year. I, I, I completely agree with you. And again. But, uh, but that being said, there's about 12 teams that could say that. that sure. Uh, yeah. No, it's, that's that what it always game. is, is you gotta find a guy. And so that's, that's the whole running theme of every week of the season is hopefully Manziel can at least be competent. All right, at the Chiefs in Arrowhead, I think the mystique of, oh, it's Arrowhead. Apparently they can have, like, it seats like 350,000 people or something. They always talk about that on the telecasts. Um, they're not very good. Jamal Charles is, is getting up there. Alex Smith isn't very good. 
that's a win. And I think oh, wow. actually the last time we played at Arrowhead, we actually won. It's a pretty big way. That, oh, no, that was um, Jerome Harrison actually set the Browns' single-game rushing record at Arrowhead Stadium. I don't think it was the last time they played, but one of the most recent times. And you might say, Jerome Harrison, who? And I would say, exactly. No, we remember that game. That was. Uh, okay. uh, yeah, listen, the Browns are so bad that when they have a big moment, everyone remembers. <laughs> that's, that's true. But if we're eight and seven, uh, going into a January third game at home against the Steelers, that will be a Browns win. Wow. Sign them up for a wild card. Wow. Well, I'd say it, it would be very Browns like to go eight nine seven, but not get the wild card. <laughs> that would actually be more accurate. Go nine and seven, but the wild cards are both ten and six. Yes, that would be yes. Akiva, I got to tell you, before before we came on the air, I was talking to Jim, and he said to me, "I'm not going to be an optimist. I'm going to be very realistic about this team." But uh, I've been looking at previews that have the Browns going two and fourteen. I mean, the, well, my problem would be if I was betting my life, I'd say I think Manziel is going to be terrible, and I, yeah. I, I don't I don't think he. I, I actually like I'd rather, and I'm I'm certainly not a Geno Smith fan, but I'd rather have Geno Smith than Johnny Manziel. Yeah, it's, it's, here's, here's my thing when it comes to all these records of two and 14 and three and, uh, 13. You know, I can't blame them. The Browns haven't done anything, but here's, here's the way I look again objectively. Now I was having a little fun with the schedule, but you have a top five center coming back in Alex Mack, a top five to 10 safety into Sean Gibson coming back from injury. You have a couple offensive linemen you drafted. You have a young cornerback in Pierre Desir who's actually outplaying Justin Gilbert, and I know the whole league gets better every year, but I, I just don't see, even though they completely crashed at the end, I just I don't see the rationale behind seven and nine to two and fourteen when they've basically upgraded at every position except quarterback. And honestly, even if McCown starts all sixteen games, I don't know that it's worse than the combination that we had, you know, last season of Foyer, Manziel, and Connor Shaw. So. You know, I, I, I don't know. It's just because, you know, the Browns have been terrible and we deserve it um, because we've been terrible. But, you know, I, 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 objectively, I, I don't quite understand that. All right. No, it's a fair argument. But the th- I, I think people are just so down on Manziel. I will say the right. Browns, um, on pro football focus, they rate players by, like, elite, high-quality, good, average, yeah. and so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Browns have 14 players that are ranked good, high-quality, or elite, which is more than the Seattle Seahawks. I think only the Patriots have more. So. Okay. There's really, uh, you know, there's a couple spots, you know, linebacker, uh, and obviously running back and tight end wide receiver, but, you know, yeah. they, they don't have a, they don't have a player that's not above average at, in the secondary or on the line. So there's really a ton of talent all over. That's why I said Alex Smith could definitely bring this team to 10 and 6 in a playoff spot. I agree. And he would, you know, he'd get us to the first round every year and, you know, but I couldn't complain about that because we haven't sniffed the playoffs. Except for, as we call it here, sort of um, ironically or sardonically, this the season of dreams in 2007 with Derek Anderson when we went 10 and six. Uh, Jim, a very optimistic Cleveland Browns fan, season going nine and seven. We will see if they can uh, take another step forward in the second season under Coach Petton. And Jim, thanks for joining us today on Twitter. You are at Pentatronic, and that was the 27th ranked Cleveland Browns. The train keeps moving forward here on 32 Fans in 32 Days. And next week, we will start with the 26th ranked San Francisco 49ers. I hope you all have a good weekend.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.